Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at Grace Point Church, we believe in meeting people where they are and leading them to where God wants them to be. Join us now as we listen to this week's message. One of the things that can easily happen, especially when there are so many great Christmas movies that are out there, that make you feel good inside when you watch them. And there's so many great places where you can see pictures of the Christmas story. But I think that if we're not careful, if we're not really intentional about it, we can get through the entire Christmas season and not really read or hear or listen to the Christmas story. And so today, as we wrap up this series, that's what I want to do. I want us to to talk about uh, the Christmas story. The four Gospels, the four books of Scripture that talk about Jesus's life, the the four Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them tell us about the life of Jesus. But there are only two books that talk about what happened when Jesus was born, what happened when Jesus arrived. And that was the Gospel that was written by Matthew and and the one that was written by Luke. The one that was written by, uh, the two that were written by Mark and John, those two didn't start with what happened. They told us why it was important. They told us why the arrival of Jesus was significant. In fact, Mark, who wrote the shortest uh, of the four Gospels, he did not waste any time. When he wrote his book to tell the story of what happened to Jesus, this is what he said. He started it right off and he said, This is, and this is what he's talking about, this thing that he's writing, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He starts right from there. Doesn't mess around. In fact, right after this, he talks about John the Baptist, who who was born a little bit before Jesus. And once he he talked about John, I mean, they were off to the races. It was, that was it. He, the, the story just unfolded from there. But he started with what was important. Now, John, who also wrote uh, about the life of Jesus, he started telling us why Jesus came. In fact, John would write this right at the beginning of his story. He would say, so the word, because he was telling us that this is something that started out as a word. The word that he talked about earlier that he said was God, the word became human. In other places that's been translated, it said that the word became flesh. That it was, it was a, a, something that came out of a mouth, a word, and then that word all of a sudden became flesh and not just sound. He says the word became flesh or became human and made his home among us. And so for John, the important thing that he wanted to tell us was this, was that Jesus came. He came. He moved into the neighborhood. He made his life here among us. That was the good news. And so here is John, and he's trying to tell the story because when he wrote his book, he was an old man. And he had lived through so much. And as he's now at the very end of his life, he's, he's, he saw all of these things that happened. He, he lived with Jesus. He spent three years of his life with Jesus. He, he saw Jesus die. He saw the resurrected Jesus come back. He had a meal with him. And then he saw that resurrected Jesus go to heaven. And here was John, who now after that, after Jesus had had been resurrected and had left, he saw all of the destruction that happened to his people. Thousands of his fellow Jews were crucified as Rome took over Jerusalem. He saw the temple destroyed. 
And it was in this very, very hard time for his people that he sat down and he decided to write an account of exactly what happened, of what he had seen, so that no one would miss it. And so when he started off, he said this, he said, the one who is the true light, talking about Jesus, he says, the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. See, he was setting the stage for this because he's saying that on this very first Christmas morning, on this very first Christmas, that there was a gift that came to everybody. It wasn't just a gift for me. It wasn't just a gift for you. It wasn't just a gift for the people who understood and who believed. It was a gift, he says to everyone. And that gift was coming into the world. And then he says, to all, all, Not all the good people, not all the Christians, not to all the people who figured it out, not all the people whose lives have been straightened out, not all the people who have uh, gotten over their addictions, not all the people who straightened out their act. It's to all, John says, to all who believed, all who believed in him and accepted him. Now, in most other translations, they start with the accepted him, and then they go to the believed him. And it's funny because that word that that believed him in the Greek um, is the, the word pisteo. And pisteo just means faith. It means trust. But what John did when he wrote this is he did something that no one up until this time had ever done. He took this Greek word pisteo, which which means believe, and he put a pronoun at the end of it, ice. He put it at the end of it, and he combined these two words, pisteo ice, which means believed into. And he was introducing a brand new concept that up until this point, no one had ever heard, that no one had under, ever understood. Because he wasn't saying that it was to all who believed, as in who believed that he existed. In fact, that believed into, it, it gives the impression of someone who is putting their full weight on something, who is leaning into it, his fully trusting. And he says to everyone, to all who will fully trust in him. It says he gave the right to become children of God. He says he became, he gave the right. In other words, this is not for the world. It's for every single person in the world. It was very, very personal. It's not just a story. In fact, at the end of John's gospel, at the end of his writing, just to make sure that if we read through the whole thing and we still didn't get it, at the end of it, he wraps it all up by saying this. He said, but these are written. All of these things that I've told you, all of these things that I've recounted about the life of Jesus. He says, all of this was written so that you, you, individual people, you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, so that you may believe it. And then he goes on and he says, and that by believing in, leaning on, putting your full weight on, completely trusting in him, then you, individually, you, me, you, will have life 
by the power of his name. You see, the way that John was writing this, he wanted us to know that this is personal. That it wasn't just Jesus coming to save the world, but Jesus coming to save every single one of us who was living in this world, who had yet to be born into this world. He was trying to explain to us that this Savior that was coming was not just a generalized, He's coming to save everything, but He was a personal Savior. He was a personal Savior for you and for me. And John was very clear about it. He was very clear that if we put our faith, our trust, if we leaned in, if we allowed ourselves to completely put everything on him, on Jesus, that we could trust in him and that he would be there. And so it's personal. Even though it says that the, the, that verse says that God so loved the world, he loved the world, but he loved every single person who was in the world. And essentially, as John is wrapping it up all of the things that he had written, the one question that he had was, do you believe? The question that we all have to answer is, do you believe? In fact, 2,000 years later, sitting here in this room, John's question to us is still the same. Do you believe? So let's get to the, to the Christmas story. Get to the Christmas story. Here it is. And we're going to look at it at, at probably the one that's the most popular version of the, of the Christmas story, which was written by Luke. And uh, the, I have to admit that the first time that I heard the Christmas story from Luke wasn't in church. Uh, it was on uh, Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown. You know, when Linus has got his blanket and, and the, the, there, he gets on stage and then the spotlight comes down on him and he reads the Christmas story from Luke 2. But it's important, I think, for us to understand who Luke was. Because Luke's approach to telling the story of Jesus was different than uh, Mark's was and different than John's was. Because Luke went into it to try to give us as much detail as he could so that we would listen to what he had to say, listen to the things that he wrote, and that he was trying to convince us of this thing that happened. So Luke didn't go and tell a story. What Luke did was he went out and he found eyewitnesses. He found people who knew Jesus. He found people who had witnessed the, the miracles of Jesus. He talked to the people who were actually there. And after gathering all of this information, Luke puts together an account of everything that happened. And when he starts off his story, he doesn't start it off with once upon a time. Or for those of you who were just in the... Uh, theaters over the last couple of days, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Right? That's not how he starts this, his account of Jesus. He starts it the way that you would start it if you were writing an accurate, timely account of something that happened. And so this is how he starts. He says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and Elizabeth was, was Mary, who was Joseph's, uh, who was Jesus' mother. He says, in the sixth month of, of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and that's Mary's cousin, she said, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And the reason that, that Luke wants to give us all of this detail is because Luke wants to make sure that we understand that each one of these things that he's talking about here was a prophecy about the Messiah. 
That as he goes through and tells this story, he's got a checklist of all of the 600 prophecies that, that tells about Jesus coming. And he's checking them off to make sure that you know that the people who were reading this at the time knew that the person that he is talking about is checking off all of those lists, that list, checking off all of those things that predicted who Jesus was and when he would come. And he makes sure to tell us that Mary, his mother, was a virgin. And this would be important in the story. It, it goes on, he goes on to say this. It says, she, this was Mary, was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Another very important uh, prophecy. Because what the, what the Israelites, the, the, the Jewish people at the time, what they knew was that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And so here he is. He's making sure to let everybody know. Here is another one of those boxes that I'm checking off. And then in, it says, Gabriel, who was the angel, appeared to her and said, Greetings. Now, that word greetings is actually better translated rejoice. He's trying to tell her something good is about to happen. He says, rejoice, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But Mary, as I think many of us would, if we had an angel suddenly appear to us, she responded how probably most of us would respond. It says, confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I don't understand. You're saying to rejoice. You look kind of scary. And you're saying, well, you know, God has a message for me. And I'm thinking to myself, you know how when your mom or dad wants to see you or, or when you get called to the principal's office, like you know something bad is about to happen, right? Because when someone in authority wants to see you or has a message for you, it seems like it's always bad news. And so here's Mary. And she is being told by this angel that just suddenly appeared to her that God has a message for her. And so she's wondering, okay, what did I do? What have I done now? Angel goes on. He says, don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. So he's saying, easy, Mary, just, just hold on. Don't get all excited. Don't be afraid. This is good stuff here. I'm coming with a message from God, and it's actually a good message. And so here is what the, the, the angel tells Mary. He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son. And then the angel says, and you will call, you will name him Jesus. Now, when we read this, we're reading the English word Jesus. But the English word Jesus is actually... Um, comes to us from the Latin word that, was actually, that, that Mary actually used, that the angel actually used. It comes to us from the Latin word, Iesus. Now, that Latin word, Iesus, is, comes to us from the Greek word, which is what this was originally written in, Iesus. E-A- that O with the line going that way, that's the S, Iesus. That Greek word Iesus is a, tra is a uh, translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua. 
In fact, today that's how the, the Hebrews refer, or the, actually the Messianic Jews, the, the, the Jewish people who believe in Jesus, that's how they refer to Jesus. They call him Yeshua HaMashiach. That's the word that they use. But the Hebrew word Yeshua, translated into English, is the name Joshua. So when the angel came to Mary, Mary did not hear, you're going to name him Jesus. She heard, you're going to name him Joshua. You are going to name him after that Old Testament hero, that that warrior king who saved his people and conquered his enemies. This is what you are going to name your son. Now, I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that in a second, but this is important. She didn't hear Jesus. She heard Joshua. Joshua. He goes on and it says, uh, Luke says, He will be very great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Imagine this, an angel is telling you this this about your son, about your child. Your child is going to be great. He is going to be called the son of the most high. And, it's, and then the angel says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, if you're a mother, and you're just told that this is going to be your child, that is good news. Seems kind of weird, but okay. So this is, this is Mary's version that Luke gives us. We're going to jump over to Matthew, and this is how Matthew tells it. He says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. So now Matthew is going to tell his version of the story. And he says this, he says, His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, again, making sure to tell us, this is definitely not Joseph's baby. While she was still a virgin... She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, for us, uh, pregnancy, no, that's not what I was going to say. For us, uh, engagement is a completely different thing than it was back then. right? In, In our culture today, when you're engaged to somebody... It's like, you, you know, you kind of have an agreement with each other, but, you know, uh, until you put a ring on it, it, it it's still open game, right? So that's a, a completely different scenario than it was in this particular time. In this particular time, when you are engaged to somebody, you are practically married. The, the way that they treat you as a couple is exactly the same as if you were already married. And... For her to become pregnant while they were in their engagement, for her to become pregnant, that was actually a um, violation of the legal agreement that comes with being engaged. In fact, under the law at this time, she could have been executed if people found out that she was pregnant and it wasn't Joseph's baby. Even if it was Joseph's baby, she would have been rejected by the people that were there, the people in her city, because the ceremony hadn't taken place yet, and she was already pregnant. So this was a tough thing for her. In fact, that word she became, in other translations, it says that she found, like she was discovered. 
Because back then, you know, you couldn't just go down to the CVS and, and get a pregnancy kit and figure out, hey, I'm pregnant. At this particular time, you figured out that you were pregnant when you started to feel it. And if you'd never been pregnant before, the only way that you know how it feels to be pregnant is to ask somebody else. Which means Mary had told some people, there were a couple of people that knew, that she was having the symptoms that only come with being pregnant. Matthew goes on with the story and he tells this, he says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. In other words, he was a man who valued the law, who followed the law. And he did not want to disgrace her publicly. He did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he was trying to find this balance between the law and grace. He was trying to figure out, how am I going to balance those two? And it says, so what he decided to do was to break the engagement quietly. And the phrase, break the engagement... That means divorce. I mean, they literally use the term divorce for breaking the engagement. That's how strong this bond was supposed to have already been. In verse 20, it goes on and it says, As he considered this, this is Joseph, he's, he's considering this. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said. Here, here's, Luke again, uh, or here's Matthew now telling us this is an important point, because this is along the line of the prophecy. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. See, what the angel was saying was, listen, Joseph, I know this is kind of odd. And I know that if you, 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 you love Mary, and if you want to stay with her, and you, you take her as your wife, people are going to talk. People are going to start whispering behind your back. There are going to be rumors all around town. It's going to make it tough for you and her and your whole family. And the angel says, listen, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The child in her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, and, it's, and then it says, And she, and this is the angel talking, And she, Mary, she, the one that you are engaged to, she will have a son, and you are to name him Joshua. You are to name him after the Old Testament warrior king. You are to name him after this, this Old Testament hero, who led his people into the promised land, who went out as a warrior king and destroyed all of the enemies of Israel. You're going to name him Joshua. That's what you're going to name him. You're going to name him Joshua. And if you're Joseph, and you have an angel in front of you, and he's telling you that you are going to have a son that was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he tells you that you're going to name that son Joshua. You're going to name him after that warrior king. All of the prophecies and all of the things that you heard growing up about the Messiah that was coming, it started to pop in your head. You're saying, wait a second, hold on. I was, I was talking to my son earlier about this. Have any of you ever seen how they pick the numbers for the lottery? There's a big 
glass ball and then and and each and there's like ping pong balls in it and there's numbers on each of the ping pong balls and then there's a tube that comes out of the glass ball and so the balls are all going around and all of a sudden one number comes out and it comes to the top and that's the first number and then they're spinning around more and then the second number comes see for joseph i think he's looking at it like that like he's got a ticket and he knows the winning numbers of the ticket and he's looking up there and all of a sudden the first two numbers come up hold on wait a second I'm going to have a son that was conceived by God. There's the first number on my ticket. And I'm going to call him Joshua. I'm going to name him the name of that Old Testament king. Hold on a second. Let me see what's going on here. And then then it says, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus or Joshua for, for because, listen, there's a reason why you're going to name him Joshua You're going to name him after this guy for, and you don't even have to tell Joseph anymore because he already knows what's coming. He's he's heard these prophecies his entire life. And so he's going, yes, I know exactly what's going to happen. I know for, go ahead, for, for. And he says, for he will save his people. And that's the next ball up on the lottery. And he's going, yes, I've got it. He's going to save his people. And then the angel finishes. And he says, from their sins. And I know that what we want to think and what we want to believe and, and probably what we grew up imagining is that when, jo- when, jo- when Joseph heard this, that he's going to save his people from their sins, that he was rejoicing. Yes, the Messiah has come to save me from my sins. But for Joseph, it was like he got the first five numbers and he's just waiting for that sixth ball and all of a sudden it goes up and that's not it. This was a disappointment. This was a disappointment. You see, because for Joseph, he's looking at this and he's going, I don't understand. What do you mean he's going to save his people from their sins? We don't need saving from our sins. Listen, right down the road, there is a temple. And at that temple, there is a whole process in place that's been in existence for years of how to save myself from my sins. I already know how to save myself from my sins. I sin, I go buy a lamb, I go to the temple, they chop it up into tiny pieces, my sins are gone, I'm done. I don't need to know anymore how to save myself from my sins. That's not what I want a Savior for. I want a Savior who is going to save me from Rome. I want a Savior who's going to save me from the enemies of Israel. I want a Savior who's going to conquer all of the people around so that my nation can be great again. And he is doing and thinking the exact same thing that many Christians think when it comes to Jesus. They want a Savior. But they have in our minds, we have in our minds, what we want the Savior to do. Right? We have in our minds how we want the Savior to save us. And oftentimes we walk away from situations thinking that Jesus didn't hear us or that Jesus didn't answer our prayers because we were expecting him to save us the way from what we thought we needed saving from. And Jesus came to save us from what we really needed saving from. See, Joseph didn't get it yet. He wanted a savior from Rome. He wanted a savior from oppression. He wanted a savior that was going to make his nation great. And instead, Jesus came 
to save his people from their sins. The story goes on like this. It says, Joseph, uh, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And, you know, the, the story kind of leaves it there. He took Mary as his wife. And, and if we read it, we can easily gloss over it and forget that when he took Mary as his wife, that there was this nine-month gestation period. Right? Ladies, mothers. Nine months of her being talked about, of her being ridiculed, of, of whispering, of rumors, of nasty looks. That entire time. It was a tough time for Mary and Joseph. We jump back into the story with Luke. And it says this in uh, chapter 2. It says, and at the same time, or at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus, who was the first emperor of Rome, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now, all of this stuff now is going to just start falling into place, right? Somewhere along the line, one of Augustus's advisors told him that he needs to call for a census. At this strangely odd time of the year, but he, wanted, he, he made a decree that he was going to count everybody in his kingdom at this particular time. And so the instruction was, in verse 3, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And you see, this census that was ordered all the way in Rome, all the way over there, by people who'd never seen Jesus, never heard of Jesus, never heard of Joseph, never heard of Mary, somewhere over there, they ordered this census and ordered that the people had to go back to their ancestral towns. And in doing that, made it so that Joseph and Mary had to go to the city where Jesus was supposed to be born, where the prophecy said he would be born. These guys who were far away had nothing, no idea what they, were, what they were a part of. And end up being a footnote in history. They make everything possible so that Joseph and Mary have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. So he says, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child born son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. And then Luke tells us this, and this is, this is probably for me one of the most interesting parts uh, about this whole story. It says, that night, so here's Jesus, he's born. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Shepherds who were in the fields near the city. In fact, those shepherds earlier that day were probably right along the road that Mary and Joseph walked into Bethlehem from. They could have seen them and had no idea what was about to happen. But the shepherds were there, staying in the fields, guarding their sheep. 
Now, why shepherds? Why wasn't it that, they, that, that it was that night that there were plumbers? You know, why didn't Jesus go to, to a group of, of uh, contractors, of, of electricians? Why didn't he go to, uh, to the, the bartenders or the chefs? Why did he go to the shepherds? I don't know. It doesn't really tell us anywhere in Scripture. But it's interesting, though, about the shepherds. Because shepherds was one of the professions where just because of the profession, you were always, always ceremonially unclean. And in this culture, if you were ceremonially unclean, one of the things that you couldn't do was to go to the temple with a sacrifice and have your sins forgiven. Because if you're a shepherd and you're walking behind a thousand sheep all day, you're going to step in something. right? And if you're a shepherd in this time period, you're either giving your sheep to people, selling your sheep to people who are going to be eating that sheep, or you're selling the sheep to people who are going to be taking that sheep to the temple. No matter what it was that they were doing, the shepherds could never become ceremonially clean, which means the shepherds never were able to go into the temple, which means the shepherds had no way to get forgiveness from their sins. And this is the first group of people that get to hear the good news. In the next verse, it says, suddenly an angel appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surround them. So here's the shepherds, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. And and it's not like the middle of nowhere here where you're talking about like somewhere in the Central Valley. I'm talking about the middle of nowhere where it's completely dark except for the tiny little fire that that they've got with them. Completely dark. The stars are shining. And all of a sudden, an angel appears, and the radiance, the brightness of the Lord's glory surrounded them. And as always happens when there's an angel, everybody is scared. So the angel says, in the next verse it says, But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to the Jews. No. I will bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the rich people. No. He says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Man, woman, tall, short, the other things, the other places, everything. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. And this is that good news. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. That guy that even you guys, even you shepherds know the prophecies about this Messiah that is coming. The Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Exactly like the prophecy said. And it says, and you will recognize... Him by this sign, you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now, you shepherds, you know about mangers, right? Of course, they knew about mangers. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to, do- to those with whom God is pleased. And I don't know about you, but I often have read that when I was growing up. And it seems to me like the peace on earth is going to come with whoever God is pleased with. Right? Just the way that it's phrased. Glory to God. And if God is pleased with you, man, you're going to get peace. But that's because the way that they they write this, 
They make it easy for us to understand the words, but we lose something in the translation because what he's saying here is that you're go- everybody is going to get peace because I'm pleased with all of you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, what you're doing, what you're going to do, I am pleased with all of you. And you're all going to get peace. And it says, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You see, the most wonderful time of the year isn't wonderful because of what's happening around us right now. The lights are beautiful. The music is great. The movies, you only get to see them this time of the year. It's not what makes this time wonderful. It's not because of what's happening. It's because of something that happened. The foundation of the Christian faith is based on events. It's not a way of life. It's not a philosophy. It's not a book. It's based on things that actually happened. And so here's these shepherds, and it says that they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there, just like they were told, was the baby, just like they were told, lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary, who heard it first, Mary, who was told that this was going to happen, Mary, who, who had to endure people talking about her, who had to endure the looks, who had to endure the pregnancy, Mary, who, who traveled fully pregnant, And if any of you women understand what it's like when you're about to give birth and you have to walk. I mean, the the pictures on the cards, they show Joseph walking and and Mary on a donkey. And, you know, it makes guys look good because, you know, we let the woman ride. But that's nowhere in Scripture. We have no historical record of that. In fact, what is most likely that happened is that they both walked all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem while she was pregnant. Maybe that's what did it. You know how they make you walk in the heart? Okay. Anyway. And so here's Mary, and she kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. She kept them all in her heart. Because who would believe it? Who would believe this whole story? Who would believe her if she sat somebody down and she's she's holding her baby and she says, listen... Let me tell you how this actually all happened, because it really wasn't like you would expect it to be. And she just started to tell the story about the angel and the Holy Spirit and all of these things. She couldn't tell anybody about that. Who would believe her? They would think she was crazy. And so Mary took her baby and she raised her baby, her her son, Jesus, just as any other woman would have raised their son. All the while remembering and knowing all of these things. And thinking about them and reliving them in her mind, but still not really sure. And so she raises her child and she sees him grow up to be a man. And she watches and she hears about her fully grown son who goes from town to town and and he becomes this amazing preacher and he's, he's healing people and he's performing miracles. And she must have been thinking to herself, you know, maybe those angels really did have something there. And then she sees her son arrested 
and executed. And she watches him die on a cross. And she had to wonder, I guess everything that that angel said was wrong. That, that, that my son, who was supposed to be the son of the Most High, who was going to reign over a kingdom that will never end, well, he just died and maybe it was over. And then a few days later, she would look into an empty tomb and see her son gone. And she would meet her resurrected son. And in that moment, she would understand that he wasn't just her son. He was her savior. Just like he's yours and mine. And so John, John who Jesus trusted to to watch over his mother, John who knew Mary, who, who heard, must have heard dozens, maybe hundreds of times, everything that had happened in this entire story of what happened with Mary and with Joseph and the birth of Jesus. John would look at all of this and as he's writing his, his, his manuscript, his book, he would sum it all up like this in a, in a verse that that for many Christians and, and for many non-Christians, if, if you ever watch football, that it's a verse, or actually any sport these days, it's a verse that you've seen before. And John sums it up like this. He says, for God so loved the world. In fact, that so loved is actually, he loved the world so much. For God so loved the world that. And now he's going to tell us, this is, this is what was the result of God loving the world. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is how much God loved you and me. That he gave his one and only son. That whoever, 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 No matter where you are in your walk, no matter how far away you've walked from God, no matter what you've done in your life, whoever, and there's that phrase again, believes in, puts my faith in, puts my trust in, who fully leans on me, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Not an eternal life that starts in the future, but a connection to the source of life that starts right now. But in the next part, the part that probably is not as popular as this, he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I didn't send my son down there to make all of you feel guilty. I didn't send him down there to show you all of the things that you're doing wrong. I didn't send him down here so that you would feel bad, so that you would... That's not why I sent him. He says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Grace Point Church is located in South San Francisco, California. For more information, look us up online at www.wearegracepoint.com.